Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. This is episode 58 of The Informed Catholic and season two. So um, we're going to continue our journey into studying the uh, early Christian martyrs. I'm going to read you the story of uh, the passion of Perpetua and Felicity. So before we begin, let's start off with a profession of faith. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered unto Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Queen of the Rosary, Mother of the Church, Mother of all Christians, pray for us. Saint Joseph, Guardian of the Church and the Holy Family, pray for us. And Saint Perpetua and Saint Felicity, pray for us. And Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us from evil in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So, uh, I want to read a passage of scripture first before we begin. Uh, I want to read from chapter 12, and uh, I'll stop at the end of uh, this passage will be uh, verse 11. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking at Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation which addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor lose courage when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines him whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom the, his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. 
shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and, and of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time at their pleasure, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. All right, so let's begin. This is going to be chapter one. Uh, early Christian saints. Uh, chapter one of the story of Perpetua and Felicity. So let's begin. When the saints were baptized... St. Perpetua successfully resisted her father's pleading and was baptized with the others, was thrust into a filthy dungeon, anxious about her infant. By a vision granted to her, she understood that her martyrdom would take place very shortly. The young catechumens, Ravactus and his fellow servant Felicitus, Saturanus and Secundulus, were apprehended and among them also was Vivia Perpetua, respectably born, liberally educated, a married matron, having a father and a mother and two brothers, one of whom, like herself, was a catechumen, and a son, an infant, at the breast. She herself was about 22 years of age. From this point onward, she shall herself narrate the whole course of her martyrdom as she left it described by her own hand and with her own mind. While, says she, we were still with the, uh, the persecutors and my father, for the sake of his affection for me, was persisting to seek to turn me away and cast me down from the faith. Father, father, said I, do you see, let us say, this vessel lying here to be a little pitcher or something else? And he said, I see it to be so. And I replied to him, can it be called by any other name than what it is? And he said, no, neither can I call myself anything else than what I am. A Christian. Then my father, provoked at this saying, threw himself upon me as if he would tear my eyes out, but he only distressed me and went away overcome by the devil's arguments. Then in a few days, after I had been without my father, I gave thanks to the Lord, and his absence became a source of consolation to me. In that same interval of a few days, we were baptized, and to me the Spirit prescribed that in the water baptism nothing else was to be sought for bodily endurance. After a few days, we are taken to the dungeon, and I was very much afraid because I have never felt such darkness. Oh, terrible days! Oh, the fierce heat of the shock of the soldiers! because of the crowds, I was very unusually distressed by my anxiety for my infant baby. There was present there a Tarataras and Pompinus, the blessed deacon, 
who ministered to us and had arranged by means of gratitude that we might be refreshed by being sent out for a few hours into pleasant part of the prison. Then, going out of the dungeon, all attended to their own wants, I suckled my child, which was now very hungry. In my anxiety for it, I addressed my mother and comforted my brother and commanded to their care my son. I was languishing because I had seen them languishing on my account. Such concern I suffered for many days, and I obtained for my infant to remain in the dungeon with me, and forthwith I grew strong and was relieved from distress and anxiety about my infant, and the dungeon became to me as it was a palace, so that I preferred being there to being elsewhere. Then my brother said to me, My dear sister, you are already in a position of great dignity and are such that you may ask for a vision that it may be made known to you whether this is to, in, uh, to result in prison or an escape. And I, who knew that I was privileged to converse with the Lord, was, with whose kindness I had found to be so great, boldly promised him and said, Tomorrow I will tell you. And I asked, and this was what was shown me. I saw a golden ladder of marvelous height reaching up even to heaven and very narrow so that persons could only ascend it one by one. And on the side of the ladder was fixed a very, uh, of every kind of iron weapon. There were swords, lances, hooks, daggers, so that if anyone went up carelessly or not looking upwards, he would be torn to pieces and his, and his flesh would cleave to the iron weapons. And under the ladder itself was crouching a dragon of wonderful size who lay in wait for those who ascended and frightened them from the ascent. And Satyrus went up first, who has subsequently delivered himself up freely on our account, not having been present at the time, that we were taken prisoners, and he attended the top of the ladder, and, and he turned towards me and said to me, Perpetua, I am waiting for you, but be careful that the dragon does not bite you. And I said, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he shall not hurt me. And from under the ladder itself, as if in fear of me, he slowly lifted up his head, and as I trod upon the first step, I trod upon his head, and I went up, and I saw an immense extent of a garden, and in the midst of the garden, a white-haired man sitting in the in a in a garb of a shepherd, of a large stature, milking sheep, and standing around. We were many thousands. Uh, there were many thousands white-robed ones, and he raised his head and looked up upon me and said to me. Thou art welcome, daughter. And he called me, and from the and from the cheese as he was milking, he gave me, as it were, a little cake, and I received it with folded hands, and I ate it. And all who stood around me said, Amen. And at, at the sound of their voices I was awakened, still tasting a sweetness which I cannot describe. And I immediately related this to my brother, 
and we understood that it was to be a passion, and we ceased henceforth to have any hope in this world. End of chapter 1. So now we're in chapter 2. Perpetua, when beseeched by her father, comforts him, and when led with others to the tribunal, she avows herself a Christian and is condemned with the rest to the wild beasts. She prays for her brother, Dinacartrius, who was dead. After a few days, there prevailed a report that we should be heard, and then my father came to me from the city, worn out with an anxiety. He came up to me, that he might cast me down, saying, We have, have pity, my daughter, on my gray hairs. Have pity on your father. If I am worthy to be called a father by you, if with these hands I have brought you up to this flower of your age, if I have preferred you to all your brothers, do not deliver me up to the scorn of men. Have regard to your brothers, have regard to your mother and your aunt, have regard to your son, who will not be able to live after you. Lay aside your courage and do not bring us all to destruction, for none of us will speak in freedom if you should suffer anything. These things said my father in his affection, kissing my hands and throwing himself at my feet. With tears he called me not daughter but lady, and I grieved over the gray hairs of my father, that he alone of all my family would not rejoice over my passion. And I comforted him, saying, On that scaffold whatever God wills shall happen, for know that we are not placed in our own power, but in that of God. And he departed from me in sorrow. Another day, while we were at dinner, we were suddenly taken away to be heard, and we arrived at the town hall. At once the rumor spread through the neighborhood of the public place. An immense number of people were gathered together. We mount the platform. The rest were interrogated and confessed, and then came to me, and my father immediately appeared with my boy and withdrew me from the step and said in supplication and tone, Have pity on your babe. And Hilarinius, the procurator who had just received the power of life and death in the place of the proconsul Manucus, Timonenius, who was deceased, said, Spare the gray hairs of your father, spare the infancy of your boy, offer sacrifice for the well-being of the emperor, and I replied, I will not do so. Hilarinius said, Are you a Christian? And I replied, I am a Christian. And as my father stood there to cast me down from the faith, he was ordered by Hilarinius to be thrown down and was beaten with rods, and my father's misfortune grieved me as if I myself had been beaten. I so grieved for his wretched old age. The procurator then delivers judgment on all of us, and condemns us to the wild beasts, and we went down cheerfully to the dungeon. Then, because my child had been used to receive suck from me, and to stay with me in, this, in the prison, I sent Papinius to the deacon 
to my father to ask for the infant, but my father would not give it, give me the child. And even as God willed it, the child no longer desired the breast, nor did my breast cause me uneasiness, lest I should be tormented by care for my baby. And by the pain of my breast at once ended. After a few days, while we were praying, on a sudden, in the middle of our prayers, there came to me a word, and I named Denocratus, as I was amazed that the name had never come to my mind until then, and I was grieved as I remembered his misfortune, and I felt myself immediately to be worthy and to be called on to ask on his behalf, and for him I began earnestly to make supplication and cry with groaning to the Lord. Without delay, on that very night, this was shown to me in a vision. I saw Denocratus going out from a gloomy place, where also there were several others, and he was parched and very thirsty, with a filthy countenance and pallid color, and the wound on his face which he had when he died. This Denocratus had been my brother after the flesh, seven years of age, who died miserably with disease, his face being so eaten out with cancer that his death caused repugnance to all men. For him I had made my prayer, and between him and me there was a large gap so that neither of us could approach to the other. And moreover, in this same place where Denocratus was, there was a pool full of water, having its brink higher than was the stature of the boy. And Denocratus raised himself as of to drink, and I was grieved that although that pool had held water, still on account of the height and its brink, he could not drink, and I was aroused, and I knew that my brother was in suffering, but I trusted that my prayer would bring help to his suffering, and I prayed for him, every day until we passed over into the prison of the camp, for we were to fight in the camp show. Then was the birthday of uh, Getia Caesar, and I made my prayer for my brother day and night, groaning and weeping that he might be granted to me. Then on the day in which we remained in feathers, chains that is, this was shown to me. I saw that the place which I had formerly observed to be in the gloom was now bright, and Denocratus, with a clean body, was well glad and, and was finding refreshment. And where there had been a wound, I saw a scar, and that pool which I had before seen was now with its margin lowered, even to the boy's level. And one drew water from the pool, uh, without stopping, and upon its brink was a goblet filled with water, and the Democrats drew near and began to drink from it, and the goblet did not fail, and when he was satisfied, he went away from the water to play joyfully after the man of children, and I awoke, then I understood that he was translated from the place of punishment. End of chapter 2 Chapter 3. Perpetua is again tempted by her father. 
Her third vision was granted to her, wherein she is led away to struggle against an Egyptian. She fights, conquers, and receives the reward. Again, after a few days, Pudence, a soldier in, and an assistant overseer of the prison, who began to regard us in great esteem, perceiving that the great power of God was in us, he admitted many brethren to see us, that both we and they might be mutually refreshed. And when the day of exhibition drew near, my father, worn with suffering, came to see me again and began to tear out his beard and to throw himself on the earth and to cast himself down on the face and to reproach his years and to utter such words as it might have moved all creation. I grieved for his unhappy old age. The day before that on which we were to fight, I saw in a vision that Pompeius, the deacon, came to the gate of the prison and knocked on it. I went out to him and opened the gate for him, and he was clothed in a richly garment ornamented with a white robe, and he had on and he said to me, Perpetua, we're waiting for you, come. And he held his hands to me, and we began to go through rough and winding places, scarcely at length. And we arrived breathless at the amphitheater, when he led me into the middle of the arena and said to me, Do not fear, I am here with you, and I am laboring with you. And he departed, and I gazed upon an immense assembly in astonishment, and because I knew that I was given to the wild beasts, I marveled that the wild beasts were not loose upon me. Then there came forth again against me a certain Egyptian, horrible in appearance, with his backers, to fight with me. <clears throat> and there came to me as my helpers and encouragers, encouragers handsome youths, and I was stripped and became a man. <clears throat> then my helpers began to rub me with oil, as in the custom for contest, and I beheld that, Egypt, that Egyptian on the other hand rolling in the dust, and a certain man came forth of wondrous height, so that he even overtopped the top of the amphitheater. And he wore a loose tonic and a purple robe between two bands over the middle of his breast, and he had on... Uh, varied forms made of gold and silver and he carried a rod as if he were a trainer of gladiators and a green branch upon which were apples of gold and he called for silence and said this Egyptian if he should overcome this woman shall kill her with the sword and if she shall conquer him she shall receive this branch then he departed and we drew, we drew near to one another and began to deal out blows. He sought to lay hold of my feet while I struck at his face with my heel. And I was lifted up in the air and began thus to thrust at him as if spurning the earth. But when I saw that there was some delay, I joined my hands so as to uh, twin my fingers with one another. And I took hold upon his head and he fell on his face, and I trod upon his head, and the people began to shout, and my backers to exult. And I drew near to the trainer, and took the, the branch, 
and he kissed me and said to me, Daughter, peace be with you. And I began to go gloriously to the Sanavarian gate. Then I woke and perceived that I was not to fight with beasts, but against the devil. Still I knew that the victory was awaiting me. This so far I have completed several days before the exhibition. But what passed at the exhibition itself, let who will write. End of chapter four, um, chapter 3. Now we're going into chapter 4. So I think I'm going to end it here and we'll come back next episode. So let's end it with a prayer. We'll say a Hail Mary in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Uh, Holy Mother of God, Queen of the Rosary, pray for us. And St. Joseph, pray for us. And St. Perpetua and Felicity, pray for us. And St. Michael the Archangel, defend us from evil. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.